0: You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Abby Evelyn from Nashville Fertility Center. And today I'm joined by my wonderful, lovely friends, Uh, and co-host Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello. And Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. We also have a special guest, one of my partners, Dr. Megan Smith, who's going to talk to us in just a minute about her own personal experience with freezing eggs on two different occasions actually. But first, before we get started, how are you guys doing? Good, good. It's finally cooling
1: off a little bit in Texas. Again, (laughs) it got hot again. So it's cooling off a little bit.
0: (laughs) And so cool that Dr. Megan Smith is training for, I think you told me you're training for a marathon. Is that right?
2: That's right. December 5th. It's either December 5th or 6th, whichever that Sunday is. So how many marathons have you run in? This will be my eighth. I did five in medical school, Wow. one in residency, which I don't recommend and doing I did it my intern year it was not good yeah I I don't recommend that um could you run and sleep at the same time when you're running basically, honestly <laughs> I was I don't remember a lot of it and I think it's because I was asleep for parts of it yes and the only way I made it through, it was my third marathon in 18 months. And so I think I was just like kind of in, in the routine and the habit. But I just remember getting to 20 miles. And I had been on L&D the Friday before. And my residency did this. It's probably not great, but they would time trial you. So they would say, okay, there's four triages. You have one hour to see all of them. Oh, my gosh. Ultrasound, note, everything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So be like, Okay, let's like, you know, got to be efficient. So when I got to 20 miles, I thought, okay, You could do that. If you could do the, you know, time trial triage, you can make it
0: <laughs> So I have to ask, you know, like, as we all know, your first year of residency is like so stressful. And I don't know how many tears I shed during that first year. You don't know what you're doing. You're trying to figure it all out. and You're trying to learn. And it's really stressful. And you get no sleep on top of it. You're exhausted. So what compelled you <laughs> to train for a marathon during all that, Maggie?
2: <laughs> so I had done, I had run like my best marathon ever right before I graduated medical school, right? because you know, fourth year, especially the second half of fourth year. It's not as
0: bad. Yeah. I'll give you that, but it's still not easy. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Then I happened to be just running with friends and we ran 16 miles and they were like, well, why don't you just do the marathon? And I I had an entry, but I wasn't planning on using it. And I was like, well, maybe I will do it. So I kind of just got roped in and I actually ran the whole thing with a friend, which was good because I was kind of concerned for myself. Like, Medically, because I was just I was so exhausted, and so (laughs) I just remember being like, "Okay, if something happens to me, at least someone's with me." And then you know, yeah, so I there was not one of my like I think also, and it kind of comes to actually like fertility treatment too. You had I felt such a loss of control over my own life. At that point yeah. <laughs> that this felt like something I could really control. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, especially the, those first six months of intern year, you just I described it as like traumatic, honestly. It kind
0: of is a whirlwind.
2: Yes. And you don't really what you're doing, <laughs> you're being told. I kind of described it, to people like everything you do, then someone will say, Oh, oh, you want to do it that way? Or I guess that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Like all and you're just questioning yourself all the time. So you feel like you have like no control over how you do things, your life, your sleep schedule. And so this was a thing I control. Then after that, I was like, no more until I did one as a fellow. And then, and then I was like, okay, I think I'm, I'm good until like, I'm out of training.
0: So here you are. So what do you train for now?
2: It's the California International Marathon. It's in Sacramento. It's a point-to-point, and it's supposed to be like a really fast course. I've heard good things about it. For those
1: of us who don't run and would never even dream of doing a marathon, <laughs> what, is, what does point-to-point
2: mean? I, I don't know what this means. You start at one place, and you end at the... Fin- like you. They bust you out to the start, 26 miles. Versus not making a circle of some sort. Yes. Not like a loop or something like that. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Good deal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's net downhill, which is nice. Um, Good weather. And a lot of people have have said such positive things about just the organization of the race and how it really, they make it so like welcoming and fun. I guess as fun as you can make a marathon. So yeah. So I heard good things. And I have a friend who's having a bit and actually an IVF baby. A couple of weeks before, so hopefully
0: I might be able to see her. We'll see how she's feeling after. So, Maggie, have you run in the country music marathon yet? I haven't, but I want to do that. I've never run in a marathon. Thirteen point one miles is plenty for me, and I did. I've done that three times. It is. It is a fun half marathon. That the other half of the marathon, the part that I didn't run, is kind of out in the sticks, and there's not bands playing. But it's really fun. You need to, You need to do that.
2: Actually, the crew I was running with this morning. They were like, you should just jump. We're doing it. Jump in with us. Like, do it as a train run. So I might end up doing that. Um, yeah, I run with this on Sunday mornings. I call it the Master's Men and Maggie running crew because it's <laughs> yeah, these older men who are really nice. They have like kids and families and lives, and they meet at 6:30 on Sunday mornings at um, place near <laughs> me. And my parents like it because I'm running with. People. So they're like, okay, that's safe. And I actually feel safer like running with them because especially like we'll go like today. We went like towards downtown Nashville and back, or like we did Metro Center. So I'm at least with them, like people that could maybe kind of protect me. Yeah. But yeah, they're a really nice crew. They just like to run. The only thing is that they will always try or run a little bit faster than I want to, which is good for me. Um, because I can keep up with them, but I'm like, I like running slow. And then The other thing is today we were running supposed to run 16 and we were going out Bellamy Boulevard for part of it. And I was like, I think we need to turn around to get back to my house and we'll be 16. They're like, no, 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 no. We need to go further. You're, you're doing the math wrong. (laughs) So how far did you really run then? 17. Yeah. So Ah. then we get a mile from my house where we started and they're like, what's just a mile left? Like what's another mile? And I was like, it's another mile. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But they're very they're very nice and they have a lot of like running, you know, they know all the routes and everything. So I never Yeah, that's handy. Which is really nice.
0: So some Sunday morning if I'm driving around town, if I see a young, cute, 30-something year old female with a whole entourage of older men, that's you. (laughs) Yeah. And they um, yeah, exactly. Actually,
2: Miranda, one of our nurses, spotted me this morning um and sent me a picture and was like, Is this you?
0: That's hilarious. How funny. Well, so now it's time to answer our question from one of our listeners. Susan, do you have a question up for us? I
1: do, I do. Okay, so our question is, we are looking at options for having one to two babies. I am 32 and he is 43. I have no previous children. My husband was previously married with three children and has a vasectomy that's around the 10-year mark. His urologist has given us stats to look at to have really low success rates for live birth after a 10-year vasectomy reversal. I am going through all the fertility checks now. My system is finally starting to show that it's resetting after having Nexplanon removed earlier this year. My fertility lab works are getting better, but still low on AMH. We haven't had our consultation for fertility doc yet, but in a wait list for an appointment wanting to ask advice on how to weigh out the decision between IVF with ICSI and TESI route versus vasectomy reversal. Both of our ages are a major factor in our opinion and feel like we're unsure what's the better route for having a healthy baby sooner, at least cost. Can you help us think through how you would approach making the decision on this? We are looking roughly at 8,000 on his reversal and about 14,000 for a round of IVF with ICSI and Tessie.
3: I didn't catch the age. Susan, can you tell me
0: that? She is 32 and he is 43. Okay. But said she didn't have a good AMH, is what she said, I think.
3: Yeah, so so the thing that I think about this, and granted, I think that all of us are going to have a slightly biased opinion because when people come to us after vasectomy reversals, it's generally because it didn't work, um, and so that that bias is up there up front. However, once you're ten years out from a vasectomy, a reversal is far less likely to be effective, and so I can't tell you the number of times that I have someone who had the reversal; they're now getting sperm out, but the sperm counts are so low that they're not gonna get pregnant on their own anyway. And so so that's one thing to think of is that the even though a reversal itself is cheaper It's only cheaper if it works the first time. Otherwise, you have spent far more money because you had both the reversal and the IVF cycle. When you factor in the AMH being decreased, that throws another layer into it. And so your age right now is really favorable, even if your AMH is lower. Like I would take a 32-year-old with a lowish AMH far before I would take a 42-year-old with a really high AMH just because of the genetics of how these chromosomes do and do not separate. And what that means for you and your ultimate success rate. So I my personal thought would be: even though it is more upfront to do an IVF cycle, it's ultimately going to be cheaper because you're more likely to get the result you want, especially considering that your egg production does not sound like it's kind of the optimal 32-year-old egg production that we would hope for. Going through a vasectomy reversal is gonna delay you time-wise as well, because you're gonna give some time for. Him to get the procedure to see if it works, be able to have sex, give it the even just the six months that it takes to say, is this likely to work? Is it not? You know, six months to a year somewhere in there. By the time you add all those things together, you've added on usually another year or two because things are never as efficient as you think. It's not just the, oh, he gets procedure and we try for six months. So seven months from now, we're going to know one way or the other. By the time all of this happens, it's going to be at least a year, if not two. And then you're starting. Starting to add age into it when you already have kind of a compromised egg supply. And so that's kind of how I think about it. You know, if there was no question about the egg supply, if you happen to have a money tree in your backyard, um, <laughs> if you are, you know, just beautifully well dispositioned and we're a little bit more flexible about having a baby in the timeline that you want. Um, I think those would be reasons to go ahead with the reversal, but usually by the time someone is at this level of contemplation, they want a baby yesterday. And every month that you add on to that, every period that you have after that is a tiny little dagger and it's death by a thousand paper cuts. So I would tend to say, you know, I think given the length of the vasectomy, um, as well as your age, like I would tend more towards, yeah, let's let's probably go towards IVF because that'll get you a better position, not just for this first kid, but family planning for future kids and bigger picture altogether.
0: I think that was a very well spoken response. Any any
1: additions? I would totally agree. And the the one thing I would like to make the point of is that one of the beauties of an AMH level is it really should not vary a lot based on your past contraception. So unlike FSH and estradiol that might have some lingering side effects from the progestin exposure from your next on, the AMH really shouldn't. So, yeah, that's
0: a good point. you
1: know, I kind of read between the lines of like, we're hoping this number improves and I, I, I wouldn't hold out for that because it, it should be independent. And so... Absolutely wholeheartedly everything Carrie just said, who I couldn't have said it more eloquently. Yeah, it was great. And, and and I wouldn't hold out for, you know, some more time for your AMH to quote
0: get better. So, well, that was an excellent discussion there, and today our special guest is Dr. Megan Smith, also known as Maggie, and she has a really unique perspective. Um, She has frozen her eggs on two different occasions, so she's been through egg freezing, and so we're going to kind of talk about her experience and just kind of talk about egg freezing in general today. So, Maggie, kind of tell me what prompted you... To say, gosh, I think I need to freeze my eggs. Yeah. So in in my fellowship,
2: actually, they offered it very discounted for residents slash Actually, nothing for fellows. So I will say that is one huge part of my decision. But I, I have been doing research in with like egg freezing patients and in egg freezing since I was in medical school. So that seed had been planted probably since I was 25 or 26. Who first introduced the idea of egg freezing to you? Like when, when did it become personal? Um, Dr. Noyes at NYU.
0: Noelle, is her name Noelle?
2: Nicole, Nicole, Nicole Noyce. Yes, I was working with one of the then fellows at the time, and I was a med student on a survey of women who had frozen their eggs. And we, I, you know, she was really just honest. Like, yeah, you should if you're if you're like 31 to 33, that's when you should probably do it. Um, you know, pretty blunt about it. Like, yeah, it's it's worth it. You know, if you if you know you want to have biologically related children or that your life would not be complete without it. When I was like 25 or 26, I remember her just, you know, being like, yeah, you you should totally think about it at some point. I think that was one advantage that I had that the seed had been planted long before I actually did it. I didn't- No pun
0: intended there. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) I think that like, you know, I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to really wrap their mind around is I tell people that you kind of have to grieve the loss of the life you thought you were going to live because no one dreams of having to really freeze their eggs. And so I think that's there's a huge
0: grief component when people come for that. But, but, but wouldn't you say though, as a, are now a reproductive endocrinologist, I mean, it doesn't mean you'll ever have to use those eggs. I sort of look at it as it's just insurance. It doesn't mean that you won't live the lie. It doesn't mean that you won't meet, meet the guy of your dreams and have a child without using those eggs, but you just, you have them in case you need them.
2: Exactly.
0: Well, I told them, I'm like, it
2: gives you options and having options is a good thing. So when I was in fellowship, I, you know, pretty much everybody did it. It was like, when are you going to freeze your eggs <laughs> type of thing? So, <laughs> so I did it my first year. And then I did it again, my second year, so about a year and a half apart, they liked you to do it on a research block. So you weren't like, <laughs> we don't want to interfere with your work. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was an overall, like, I would say kind of enlightening experience too. Um, I've had my AMH tested multiple times on many different assays. And because also they would keep our blood for a biorepository. So when we switched to new AMH assay, they were like, can we run yours again and see if it's different than what it was before? And it it was, um, yeah.
0: So Maggie, tell me, tell me, we talked about AMH earlier, but just define for people that don't know what AMH is, tell them what that is and why it's important.
2: It's a hormone that's made by the little cells that surround an egg. So it kind of gives you a sense of egg quantity. And really what it helps us do is dose someone's meds for an IVF cycle or egg freezing cycle and kind of predict response as well. So, um, I think being the fellow as well, they wanted my cycle to go well, really wanted to dose things as precisely as possible. So they were, let's recheck it again, just to, you know, all of this stuff. But I did my first round December of 2017. And so I got 20 eggs at retrieval. Oh, wow. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Which was great. Although, unfortunately, I always made like two cohorts of eggs. I made A bunch of M2s and a bunch of GVs. And so, which are so like immature eggs.
0: So, you made a bunch of immatures, but some matures,
2: some matures. So, my I had 11 that were mature at retrieval. So, you know, that's why I also always mention to people, you know, just the number you get is not the number that's going to
0: freeze. yeah. Yeah.
2: And then where I did fellowship, they actually kept the ones that were immature in culture to see if they, for one day to see if they matured. And I had two additional ones frozen. So that was 13 from that cycle, which was pretty good. Although I don't trust the ones that are frozen the next day as much. I tell people, I'm like, those are kind of, maybe they'll work, maybe. Yeah. And then my attending was like, you know, if, if you can, if you're up for it, Um, you should probably do it again just to get a few more. Um, you know, why not? And so actually the first round I did get OHSS, which was kind of miserable. Um, for some of our newer listeners, what is OHSS? Ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So the main thing that you feel is extreme bloating discomfort. You feel really dehydrated and just kind of, you just feel feel miserable yeah you just feel miserable and actually uh it peaks prop for me i remember it peaked probably three to four days out was like i felt my worst were you an hcg trigger or a lupron trigger co-trigger with both
0: ah. oh. so
2: we did lupron and then 2500 of HCG, so like a little a half dose of
0: hcg yeah and so hcg is the thing that set that in motion so for people that get lupron triggers generally they don't have that complication not so much anymore but if you get any of a drill at all, any little bit, generally it can set you in motion of getting hyperstimulated. And sometimes it can be mild and sometimes it can be more severe. Which was yours? Was it more? I was like
2: moderate. It was, um, I think um, I ended up just because also I was the fellow and kind of there and, and available. I went, I went to work and asked if I could get an IV um, and it did make me feel better because you really can't just didn't really feel like eating or drinking anything because you just as feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I'll have to say, so I was actually covering L&D on a Saturday um, night, which was, you know, kind of one of my peak days. I felt horrible. Oh. Yes. And of course we had like... A uterine rupture and a lot of really bad stuff happened. But I finally got to lay down around like 2 a.m. And then when I woke up and I was like, I magically feel better. It started <laughs> it's like kind of all one day, it like went went away. But then for my second cycle, which I did about a year and a half later, this is like gets into like the cycle cycle variability. My peak estrogen level, which is kind of a measure of like how you're responding. In my first cycle was 2,700. It was a pretty like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty like textbook. My second cycle, I had been off hormonal contraception for that whole year and a half. And it was like, I exploded. My peak estrogen was around almost 6,000. So it just kind of shows like cycle, cycle variability. And then the other thing they were, I really begged for a Lupron trigger, but they really wanted, they were just like, maybe we'll just give you a little bit of HCG just to make sure... So they did, which oh. actually I know I took cobergoline, which I didn't think I, I was like, I don't know how this I, which is a medicine that we can give people to help with OHSS symptoms. It actually worked pretty well for me. I'll have to say, I, I feel like it did at least, or it could have been, I was just used to that, like really bloated, awful feeling. Yeah. So that's like, oh, I got 27 eggs at retrieval, a higher percentage were mature. I want to say it was 17 um, or so. So now I have... Um, have some eggs on ice which is nice
0: so maggie why do you feel comfortable with that number of eggs because you know a lot of people when they come and i'm sure when they talk to you now too they're like well how many eggs should i freeze and i'm like well it's kind of an individual thing based on your age based on your goals in life based on your financial you know statement and all that so what do you tell them having gone through that experience well for me i think
2: i always knew like even, even if I was having kids alone, like with a sperm donor, I would want to have two. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I say that ideally. We'll say, you know start with one and see how <laughs> it goes. <laughs> I um, but I wanted to kind of set myself up to have at least two. And just knowing that it's sort of a war of attrition, I like using that Brigham and Women's Egg Freezing Calculator Tool and kind of giving myself the highest probability of having two children from those frozen eggs. So that was the rationale for freezing more. And again, the financial piece didn't really come into it because I wasn't paying for this. So that was another huge thing. I honestly tell people a lot of times when they come in, it's a largely financial decision and also how you tolerate the stimulation, what your goals of how many children you want to have. And then I also kind of, depending on their age, sort of talk to them about, well, how do you you know, would you ever use these eggs with a sperm donor? Are you only wanting to do it with a partner? Would you be okay? You know, that kind of thing. It's kind of talking through different scenarios with them. And that kind of drives how many cycles they may want to do.
3: So Maggie, how did this impact your your day-to-day life when you were going through it? Because a lot of women are like, I am super busy. I am a lawyer. I am a doctor. I am a professional of whatever variety. And I I got shit to do um, is really what it amounts to. Yeah. And so how did this impact? Because as a physician, I mean, you're taking call, even on a research block, you're getting your ass kicked. You were in labor and delivery working at 2 a.m. In the OB (laughs) world. I mean, that is that is one of the heights of ass kicking um, that you can have. And so how did this impact your day to day life of I am doing everything I always do plus one more thing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think. Honestly, like I really did not feel much physically at all um, until probably day six or seven of stimulation. So it's kind of weird because you know, you're giving yourself these injections, but you're like, is this working? I think the hardest part is just going in in the morning, taking that time out of your day and getting a scan and blood work and then waiting on the call. You know, to be honest, personally, I did not find the physical part of egg freezing as hard as I had anticipated. I think the harder part for me was it's really hard to manage your expectations. And even doing this professionally, you know, you come in and you have, you know, they tell you, oh, you have this many follicles. And then you come in the next time it's a little bit less or like your estrogen drops a little bit. And you're like, oh my gosh, did all my eggs just die? You know, like what happened? And so I think that like mental gymnastics that you're doing all of the time and kind of thinking it's really the, the mental side of it. But I think in terms of the actual time out of your life, I mean, that to me was surprisingly not as bad as I thought it would be. I think when I did my
1: IVF cycle, I was in um, practice already. And I think one of the hardest things was, it absolutely was the emotional standpoint and not the physical standpoint. The whole, and I was doing my IVF cycle Remote monitoring from across the country, which, again, I've mentioned this multiple times. If you don't have to do that, I would not recommend it. It's like just an additional stress. But like the whole like, when am I going to have my egg retrieval? And, you know, we've done four days of stimulation. People are like, when's my egg retrieval? And like my heart goes out to every one of them because I know exactly what they're going through. And I'm like... Average number of stimulation days is between 10 to 12. You know, it's just, it's so dependent on your body and having, um, especially for people who are egg freezing, (laughs) having that lack of control in something that you are used to controlling is is a very foreign like mental situation and it, it takes a little bit out of you.
3: So I have a question for the three of you ladies, because you have all been through these hormones and injections personally. So everybody always asks, am I going to be a crazy person when I'm going through this? And so
1: you may be a crazy person, but it's not because of the medications.
3: And you may cry
0: at Hallmark commercials a little bit more than you would before, but probably not. It, the, I, I agree. The medicine part really wasn't that. big. it was this that anxiety and stress about what's going to happen. And in my case, it's the emotional part. It totally was not the physical part. Yeah, mine was, how am I going to stimulate? Am I going to have eggs? Am I going to have an embryo to transfer? Is this it for me? Am I never going to be able to have a baby? That was the most stressful part. It wasn't wasn't the retrieval or the the stimulation or anything.
2: Yeah, I'll have to say I really liked having very high estrogen. I felt great. Yeah,
0: yeah, it makes you feel good.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it did. I was almost like wanting to do a third cycle because I felt I really liked that a lot. I'll say the thing that surprised me was it was the after the retrieval that was harder for me, that like sudden drop in estrogen and just like all this anticipation for something and it's over, I think, and then getting the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, I think that was harder than me than the actual stimulation, getting the eggs. It was like the aftermath was, I guess I've never had a baby, but like you, there's so much in the pregnancy and then you have the baby and you haven't like
0: hormonally you're, you're exhausted and your hormones are bottomed out. So it's just a perfect storm for yes. sadness and depression and all that. So,
2: yeah. So, so that's, I think that for that's what I tell most of my friends that do it too. Like, that that was by far the harder part than physically anything.
0: Well, and the one other big point I always try and talk about when we're talking about an IVF episode or egg freezing episode is, you know, we all have these expectations about what we think we should get in terms of the number of eggs and what the quality should be and how things should go. And, you know, nobody can predict that. I wouldn't say set your expectations low but you know there's some saying that if you set your expectations low you won't be disappointed and with IVF it's just unpredictable it's like like Carrie you said a while back it's like a funnel effect you start out with a bunch of eggs not everyone fertilizes not everyone develops when you're actually going through IVF and trying to get pregnant so you know same thing with egg freezing I had a similar experience I got like 13 eggs but only six were mature and I'm like crap that's awful you know (laughs) so but there's nothing you can do about it there's nothing you can do about it nobody did anything wrong Just It's just the way it happened, you know?
2: Yeah. I kind of took the mindset of like, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Because aside from taking your medication, showing up to your appointments and going to the retrieval, there really wasn't much in my control outside of that, which I think is really hard for most people.
0: Well, and to a certain extent, not a lot in your doctor's control either, you know? I mean... Yeah,
2: exactly. Once we kind of dose you and you're going through, like, we hope certain things happen, you know, but...
0: There's no guarantees. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, any last words of wisdom, Maggie, on your experience or for patients going forward?
2: Honestly, I think a lot of people are scared to go in for an egg freezing consult. I think it's useful even to just go in for a consult before you think you're ready just to get the information about what options are available to you. You know, at least you can kind of know about where you sit on an ovarian reserve continuum. I think that's important just to know that because... Let's say you find out your diminished ovarian reserve at a younger age. Well, still age is, you know, the age of the egg is really important. So maybe you decide to do it earlier um, or kind of moves up your timeline. But I think if you're thinking about it, just go in for a consult to talk to a professional about it. And then you can, you don't have to do it, but at least you know that
0: you've gotten that information. Great words of wisdom. Well, to our audience, thanks for listening and tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes. We'd really love to hear from you.
1: You can also visit FertilityDocs to submit specific questions that you have about infertility or ideas for our podcast. All questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for the Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. We love to hear your ideas and comments.
3: As always, this podcast is intended for entertainment. It's not a substitute for medical advice from your own physician. All right. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye.